But I just want to sh- share some things from my heart this morning. You know, I'm on, on two weeks ago, how many were here two weeks ago, spoke on the, the message of being free to serve, free to serve. And I just want to continue in that vein. And I was thinking about what it means when, when we really experience great service. Now, I've, I've heard this said. I've not been able to experience this myself. Some of you have been to the Enzian Inn in Leavenworth. I mean, anybody? And you've experienced that. So my, my wife and my daughter went on a special trip last year to this Enzian Inn, and they came back, and they were talking about just how great it was, how, per, how great the service was, how great they keep, keep it clean, the smiles, the attitudes of those who work there and everybody involved, and, and the breakfast. Come on. The breakfast sounds amazing, heavenly. And so she, she describes this great service, and I said, well, what was it? Well, she's like, they're just, the, the attitude, the smile, the excellence which with they serve. It's notable. It makes you, it makes you want to come back, and it, and it raises the bar, right? And I was thinking about when you have a good experience in service, you, it's noticeable. And it was said about Nordstrom many years ago, I don't know if this is still the case, but somebody, somebody returned a tire, I kid you not, to Nordstrom and they took it back. <laughs> even, though, even though they don't sell tires, right? But they were, going to be, they were trying to be above and beyond, right, in service. And that got some attention. I mean, just the story itself was worth the marketing, right? And so when we experience, my, my favorite's Cheesecake Factory. Anybody like the Cheesecake Factory, right? You go there, and these guys are like right all over it. They, they, I mean, they're filling your drinks before you're done. I mean, it's, it's great. The service is noticeable. But I, I want to talk this morning about Jesus' greatest, what I say, object lesson on serving. And one of my favorite stories in the Bible, favorite accounts in the Bible, if you will. But... To remind you where we've been and where we're going, but uh, two weeks ago I talked about being free to serve, and there's a few things I shared. There's a call to freedom, and there was even that prophetic word this morning along those lines that we are called to stand in freedom, right? We're called to be free, and it was for freedom that Christ set us free, but then there's an opportunity for freedom, right? When you're free, there's opportunity. And the question is, how will we utilize that opportunity? How will that be used for his glory, for his kingdom? And lastly, there's the exercise of freedom. What do we do with it? He says, use your freedom to serve one another in love. Somebody say in love this morning. To serve one another in love. And then what a fantastic message from Pastor Sam last week on following. Not just being a believer, but a follower of Christ. Fully committed you see, we're, we're not about raising just converts. We're raising disciples, passionate followers of Jesus with their whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. He will go wherever he goes. And so I want to kind of tie that all together because as a church, it's our heart, not just to be a place where we have service on Sunday, but we're called to be an equipping house, an empowering house. Because I believe in each and every one of you, God's give gifts and callings. And, and a lot of times we are still discovering what God's put inside of us. Anybody there this morning? We're still discovering. I'm still there. I'm still figuring out what God has put inside of me because of the Holy Spirit living in me. The very creator is inside of us. 
and he gives gifts to men. And so as a church, you know, I want you, and it, that's our heart, to equip and to empower God's people to be who you've called, he's called you to be. And there's, there's something this about this. You know, we, we come to believe in this world that the greatest joy and happiness comes from just kind of living how we please. But that's not the reality. That's not how God designed you. He actually designed us that such that we are happiest. We are f- experiencing the most joy when we are in the bullseye center of his will, living for him and for others. Anybody discovered that this morning? They're actually found in that place, and it's when we're serving with all our hearts. So I want to look at this passage, and I, I shared this with the young people back in, in, um, in April but the Lord gave me just some fresh view on it this morning. And, and starting in chapter 13 of John, verses 1 through 5, I want to share this and talk about serving with purpose because we're called to serve. Amen? And it says, Now before the feast of Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come and that he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own, come on, Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, the devil, having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him. Notice that contrast. Jesus is loving his disciples, and then the devil's at work trying to do his thing. And then Jesus, knowing in verse 3 that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, got up from supper and laid aside his garments, and taking a towel, he girded himself. Then he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. There is so much in this passage, so much to unpack about Jesus and serving, but five things I really want to share with you this morning. Um, I was actually going to welcome my dad too, but he's, is he gone? Is he gone? Oh, he's come back. Okay. All right. He's back. Pastor John's in service and we're just glad to see that. When he comes back in, you guys give him a warm welcome, but, uh, he's recovering from the eye situation and we believe God's going to give him full healing. Amen. Full recovery of that eye. Praise God for that. But Number one is this, looking at it, Jesus knew his purpose and his timing. His purpose and his timing. So knowing, it says that he knew that his hour had come. And there's such significance. This is so amazing to me that that's how this starts. Because consider that this was Jesus' final night before his his, uh, crucifixion. He's about to depart from this world, and, and, and he's, he's in turmoil. He's been in trouble. The Bible says in, verse 12, in chapter 12 that his soul has been in trouble. And yet it's in that moment, in that moment, church, get this, that he does this extraordinary act of service. In the time of his greatest need, in the time of his greatest trouble, facing this cup that he's about to drink of of suffering for us is in the moment when he's thinking about serving his disciples. Come on. 
And that just struck me as I was rereading it this morning because so many times we are, we are in our own troubles and situations and circumstances and we have a hard time thinking about somebody else but us. But Jesus demonstrates and gives us the example that in that moment, the best thing you can do is begin to think about somebody else. I believe this. When we tend to God's business, he takes care of our business. He will perfect those things that concern us. He's so faithful. In John 12, he says, now my soul has become troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour But for this purpose, I came to this hour. You see, throughout all his ministry, Jesus had been aware of this coming hour. There was multiple times where they tried to seize him. They tried to get him, and it said they could not because his hour had not yet come. Even when Mary asked him to help out at the wedding, he goes, woman, my hour's not yet. But he listened. He performed the miracle. Nonetheless, but that hour is that time of that specific time, that moment of opportunity that we have. And I want to say this to us saints this morning. We are living in an hour of opportunity and we don't want to miss it. Part of the reason we need to really lean in and and begin to step out in what God's calling us to individually and as a church is because there is a world in hurt, there is a world in need, there is a work to be done, and it requires us, the church, being who he's called us to be. He was acutely aware of his purpose and the timing of the Lord in it all. So number one, there's five things I believe we need to know. In serving the Lord. Number one is knowing our purpose. Knowing our purpose. Now that just sounds so generic, but listen, God's very specific about it. Look at look at again back in John chapter 12, he says, And Jesus answered answered them, saying, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains what? Alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He who loves his life loses it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it to life eternal. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am there, my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. If anyone serves me, he will follow me. See that? But I want you to see this morning that to hate your life is not to hate your life. It's relative to that life. To prefer his life over your life. Is anyone still here with me this morning? I know we're in vacation mode. I just got out of it. But But listen, the seed reaches its full and proper development by being sown in the ground and dying. That husk comes off and then it begins to develop the stalk and then the the head and all that comes about because of that dying and that produces more fruit and that fruitfulness is increased. But when it's alone, it produces nothing. So he's speaking of his own life as he gave his own life on that cross as he suffered and died for our sakes for the sins of mankind. He also gave his life and because of that life, it produced many lives much fruit but it's also how we are to live 
He says, follow me. If anyone serves me, he must follow me into this way of living, which is to let your li- lose your life for his sake and find his life. Through Jesus' death, there would be a great spiritual harvest. When we choose to lose our lives in Christ, it makes way for a spiritual harvest. Somebody say amen. amen. Look at 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. I love that Jesus did this. He says, you can't take my life. I lay it down. I choose to lay it down. And I also have authority, I love this part, to take it back again. Come on. To lay down that life and take it back again. But in, verse, in chapter 3, verse 16 of 1 John, it says, We know love by this. This is how we know love. That he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives, what? For the brethren. What does that mean? No, that does not mean martyrdom for 99% of us, all right? Some of you are like, whew, all right. But it might mean just making that phone call. Say, God puts somebody on your heart, making that phone call, praying for somebody, encouraging somebody. It might mean taking a meal to somebody. It might mean your neighbor's in need, and God gives you insight through intercession about their need and, and says, go over there and talk to them. Come on. It might mean... Whatever the Lord calls you to do, but it usually means that you've got to lay down something of your own to help somebody out. Whatever that need is. Because he laid down his life. It's not a, it's not a, a, a burden. It's a privilege that I get to lay down my life for others. Jesus is saying this is the way to true life is to lose your life and find it in me. Look at 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15. I love this passage. For the love of Christ controls us. Is anyone in that place this morning? Some versions say compels us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. Did you hear that part? Somebody say all. All died, and he died for all. Why? And so the wise is so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Do you see the purpose in this? That we lose our life, that we live a laid down life for others. And that's the way that is expressed in your life will look different for each and every one of us, but it's the purpose to which he's called us. He was not only indicating how he would die, but he was also giving us an invitation to the crucified life. The crucified life. And Paul says this way, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. Get this. Maybe you've heard this verse a thousand times, but it never gets old to me. I want to live this. I don't want to just hear it. I want to live it. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who lives, but it's Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh. How do you live it? By faith in the Son of God who gave himself for me. That's the life. Somebody say, turn your neighbor, tell him, get the life. Right? 
It's the crucified life. It's a life laid down. I'm going somewhere with this. Stick with me. But it's number one, knowing our purpose. And you know, this is, this is the denial of self. It's in, and I love, here's the reality. He says, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Three steps. That's the life of the believer. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. But the denying yourself, how many know that's not a one-time event? It's a, whoo, moment by moment, moment by moment. We were coming back from our trip, and we, you know, we've been out in the woods away from people, and all of a sudden we come over I-90, and you know how you get down to that place where 405 is, and it's traffic. I had a moment to deny myself, and I failed. Reminded every moment. See, we get off course, we deny ourselves. We start to get up and deny ourselves. It's like every, I thought, I'm thinking selfish, I, I deny myself. But it's a choice. And you know what? I said this last time, but you got some muscle memory from that BC life. Selfish lifestyle, right? We lived self seeking, doing whatever we pleased, and we just did what our thing. And we've been used to that, and we've got that muscle memory. And you're saved, you're redeemed, you're filled with the Holy Spirit, but you still got this inclination to do your thing. And so in us, we have to make a decision of our will to say, I'm going to deny myself. And you know what? When you do that, the power of the Holy Spirit is, is released. So it's not just you doing it because it's Christ and his spirit working in you to will and to do according to his pleasure. That's awesome. That's awesome because I don't, if I try to do it on my own, I fail. Completely fail. But by the power of the Holy Spirit working in me. Trying to save our lives prevents us from serving the Lord wholeheartedly. Serving him starts with a daily decision to deny ourselves hourly, minute by minute. What does it look like? All right? Here's some thoughts on what denying ourselves looks like. If when you are good, evil is spoken, and when your wishes are crossed and your advice is disregarded and your opinions are ridiculed and you refuse to let anger rise in your heart and even defend yourself, but you take it patiently in loving silence, then you are dying to self. It just got quiet in here, right? Because we've had a moment. <laughs> and when you lovingly and patiently bear any disgrace, any irregularity, any annoyance... When you stand face to face with extravagance and folly and spiritual insensitivity and endure it as Jesus did, that is dying to self. See, he raises the bar, doesn't he? And when you are content with any food, any money, any clothing, any society, any solitude or interruption by the will of God, that is dying to self. And when you never care to refer to yourself in conversation or record your own good works or itch after commendation from others, come on, and when you truly love to be unknown, whoo, it's social media world, that's a little backwards for us, that is dying to self. When you see, all right, here you get it, when you see your brother prosper, 
see his needs wondrously met and can honestly rejoice with him without feeling envy and never question God through your needs, though your needs are greater and still unmet, that is dying to self. Now, when you can receive correction, ooh, okay, this is going to touch some nerves. Yeah, we went there. And reproof, right, from someone of less stature and admit that he is right. And here's the, it's, it's, yeah, or she is right, right? And find no resentment or rebellion in your heart. That is dying to self. Just some examples. But it says that Jesus loved his own until the end. I want you to get this this morning. This is better stated. Some, some commentators in the, uh, on the language said he loved them to the uttermost. Get that. He loved them to the uttermost. To perfection. God loved them perfectly. Can we just acknowledge something this morning? These, this wasn't a lovable group. They weren't a lovable group. They, they, he didn't love them because they deserved it. Right? Let's just, they, they had just been having an argument about who was greatest. And Jesus does this, right? <laughs> Let me just give you the object lesson of object lessons right now in front of you. They had bickered about this. James and John wanted to be seated at his right and left hand in glory. Come on. Judas was about to betray him. Peter was about to deny him. And they would all abandon him at the cross. This is who it says, but they were his own because he chose them and they chose to follow him. Are you with me? He called them his own. Number two is knowing God's love for his own. We need to know this personally and for others. Are you with me? That when you are his own and he calls you his own, he loves you perfectly even in all your moments. He doesn't stop loving you. You can't make him love you more. You can't make him love you less. He continues faithfully to love you even in the moments. You see, the supernatural part of serving God comes when we love the hard cases, when we love those who are hard to love. But we need to understand something. You were hard to love. We were hard to love. But Christ did it anyways. And he loves us perfectly. And here's the thing. We can't give what we have not yet received freely receive freely give so i need to know how much god's love for me as his own is and then i can love his own the way he does 
This is why he introduces this radical commandment, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you. And he's doing it after this object lesson of serving, washing their feet. You still with me? All right, church. Thank you. Hold on tight. 1 John 4, 7 says, Beloved, let us love one another. There it is. There's so many one anotherings in the Bible. You can't one another in isolation. For love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Do you see that? 1 Peter 1.22 says this, Since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren. There it is. A sincere love. Fervently love one another from the heart. But that has feet to it. That has action to it. It has expression to it. It's not just a a feeling. It's it's something that we, the biblical love is an act. It's doing for somebody. It's not just going by what you feel. Right? It's doing it in spite of what I feel. I know you all wake up every day loving your spouses perfectly. But you have moments, if we're honest, right? And you choose to love them in that moment. (laughs) My wife has to make that choice many times a day. I'm going to love him. Okay. (laughs) But look at this. Jesus knew knew what he had. Knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand, Jesus didn't understand this. Jesus didn't just discover this in john chapter 3 he says this the father loves the son and has given all things into his hand see he knew what he had and he served from that knowing john you know john the baptist he was having a discussion with his disciples he's still baptizing his disciples come to him and going hey Jesus is discipling, is, is baptizing as well, and he's baptizing all of them. And, but John's like, great. That's fantastic. That's good news. See, John the Baptist was fine with losing his congregation to Jesus. He wasn't trying to hold on to his, his followers. He was like, no, 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 I'm, I'm going to decrease, and he's going to increase. It's okay if I back off the scene because it was about him to begin with. And he said, look, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. You see, you got to know what we have and we got to know where it's from. See, it's from the Lord. It's from heaven. It's from him. And it's in us. And he's put it inside of us. And we're discovering what that is that he's given you. He's given you gifts and he's given you abilities and talents. and, And we have to steward those things. Amen, church? Because as Pastor Sam said, shared last week, we're going to answer for it. So in, in uh, Romans, look at this, 3, saying knowing what we have. So one, we know our purpose. Number two, we know God's love for his own. His faithfulness 
But number three, we know what we've been given. We know what we've been given. See, to each one, says in Ephesians chapter 4, 7 and 8, to each one, somebody say each one. Make sure you're not left out because none of you are left out. Each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to what? Men and women. Let's be clear. Men is there generically. Generically, but then verse 6 through 8 of Romans 12 says, Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. So each of us has been given grace, but the expression of that grace in your life is different between each and every one of us. And we are learning what that expression is. We are stepping into it. We're actually acknowledging God, you've given me grace and you've given me gifts. Come on, church. There's a faith, right? Grace is his giving. Faith is our, our receiving, our believing what he says about who we are. I know sometimes maybe you grew up with a different mentality. Maybe you were told you didn't have any skills or talents, or maybe you think that you got nothing to offer, but God says differently. He says to each one of us, grace was given. Each one of us, grace was given. And they're different, and it's okay. God likes diversity in the kingdom. Come on. Diversity of gifts, diversity of expressions. If prophecy according to the proportion of his faith, which says each of us is to exercise them accordingly, if prophecy according to the proportion of his faith, if service, listen to this part, in his his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation. Some of you have a gift of exhortation, and we need it. Some people came in with some heaviness this morning, and they were waiting for that word of exhortation. Are you with me? You know what the best gift is? The gift that's needed. Now, you come up to the altar, and you're coming up, and you're dealing with a financial situation, and I say, hey, I got a gift of healing. He's like, great, that's not what I need. But see, his gifts are flowing in and through us because of the Holy Spirit inside of us. And and sometimes things aren't happening because we're not stepping out into what God has put in us. That I can feel many times in a service where God's trying to do something and somebody feels a stirring, but they're afraid or they're timid. And it's a matter of stepping out by faith. And guess what? We're going to support you. Because we need what is in you. Turn to somebody and say that. We need what's in you. Okay? Exhortation, serving, teaching, prophecy. With he who gives, there's people who have an incredible ability to give. With liberality. With liberality. He who leads with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Come on. So we need to know what we've been given. and We've been given every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. We are not lacking saints. And Philemon, Paul wrote this to him. He said, he said, I pray that the communication of your faith, verse 6 of Philemon, 
would become, be made effective through the knowledge of every good thing that's in you for, for Christ's sake. You see that? When you become aware and you become knowledgeable, you understand what God's put in you, you, your communication of your faith, your sharing of your faith is made more effective because it is coming out of what the Holy Spirit's doing inside of you. I don't know about you, but that's exciting. Jesus was fully aware of the power and the authority he had been given And he was conscious of his position, right? The creator of the universe, and yet he serves. Number four, knowing where we are from. Because Jesus says of Jesus, he had come forth from, knowing that he had come forth from God and was going back to God. Now, see, this, this speaks to our identity. You see, we need to know we're, that we're, we've been born from above and we belong to the Father, not of, not of the will of flesh or of blood, but of the will of the Father. Born from above, born new, born again, new creation in Christ Jesus. No longer am I looking at my natural DNA, but I've got spiritual DNA from the Father that is inside of me, that defines who I am and how, how, how God can function and, and, and operate in my life and through my life. You see, you need to know where you're from. You know, we're out traveling and we're meeting all these people from different parts of the country. And how many know there's distinctives in people that you recognize where they're from? You know when you're talking to someone. Is, is Lorena in the house? She's not here this morning, right? Oh, she's back. So you know when you're talking to somebody from Minnesota. Come on. You know when you're talking to somebody from Canada. Right? We don't have Christy here this morning, but um, you, you know when you're talking to somebody from the South. And I see, Washingtonians, we think this. We think we have the normal accent. But see, I go visit my cousins in the South. They're like, no, no, no. You, you sound like another Northerner. I'm like, what is that? I've never even heard of that. But there's distinctives based on where you're from. And see, when you're born from above, there's distinctives. There's there's a Christ-likeness in you that identifies you. Knowing where you're from, you also need to know where he took you from. See, we can't, we gotta serve from this knowledge too. That I once was blind, but now I see. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Come on. I once was living in the futility of my mind and doing what, the, uh, what, what everybody else did. I once was lost in my sin and darkness, and he, he saved me out of that. You see, if you don't remember that, then how are you going to have grace and faith for others who were serving? Man, I mean, if he can get through this hard case, he can get anybody. Don't forget. See, your, your testimony of what God's done and how he's transformed your life will give you the ability. If you remember how lost, wretched, clueless, and self-destructive you were without Jesus, right? 
I know the BC me, and I'm still getting to know the new Christ, new man in Christ. And I don't like that BC me. Come on. (laughs) If we forget, we drift into pride and self-reliance, forgetting our need for dependency on him. We need to know where we're from. And then he says, it says of Jesus that he was going back to the Father. See, he knew where he was going to. He knew where he was going. And how many know that he endured the cross because he saw the other side of it? He saw the other side of it. In, in, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, it says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him. We need some joy set before us. The path of the righteous gets brighter. Are you with me? I don't know if you came in here down and out and believing there's not any hope or whatever, and we sang some hope songs. I hope you got hope now. But the path of the righteous gets brighter. It's, it's getting better. Your best is still yet to come. You haven't seen yet. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for those who love him. We haven't seen anything yet, and it's just going to get better. And you've got to live with that expectation, a positive expectation of the future, because God has good things in store. And when you, so five, we know where, we need to know where we are going. You see, we've got to know that we are, we've got an eternal perspective on life, that this is just a blink on the radar. How we live here. When you know where you're going, it changes how you serve because you serve with a passion and fervent love for others, knowing that this is, man, this is my opportunity. I don't want to miss it. How do you get through the difficulties in life? You know you've got a hope and a future. It's also this. It's a sense of direction and a compelling joy. A sense of direction and a compelling joy. You know where God is taking you. Maybe not all the details, but God's put things in your heart. How many this morning believe that? You've got things in your heart that God, the Holy Spirit has begun to show you. He's begun to prophetically awaken your heart to things. And that gives us that expectation. You see, when we, when we were on our vacation, we had a couple long car days, car ride days, right? And we discovered this. Our family's not cut out for those cross-country trips. If we went cross-country, it would be a career. But... What gets us there is the expectation of the destination, of where I'm going. You see, there's that, and that gets you through the journey. That gets you through the tribulation, the trial, when you know where you're going, and you know what God has ahead for you is good. Amen? And finally, John chapter 13, in closing, he said, the Bible says that he got up, Sorry, I lost my place here. The Bible says that he got up from supper knowing these things and laid aside his garments and taking a towel, he girded himself. Then he poured water into the basin 
and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. And I love this exchange with Peter. See, Peter's like, Lord, do you wash my feet? You gotta understand something in this culture. The person who was the foot washer was the lowest servant. The lowest. And Peter's standing there going, what are you doing? This is radical. This is radical. Shouldn't I wash your feet? If I do not, Jesus answered that, and he says, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. And Peter's like, okay, then wash the whole thing. Let's do the full bath. Christ fully clean. But he says, no, I'll only need to wash your feet. The rest of you is clean. And he has this conversation, and he says in verse 12, so when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? See, the servant needs to be willing to be cleansed constantly because where God takes us, our feet get dirty. Come on. Be cleansed. And that cleansing, that sanctification, that process in your life that God is making you and forming you into his image, to be conformed to his image. Allowing that cleansing to take place, allowing him to do that. And he says, do you see what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then the Lord and the teacher washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example you should do as I did to you. Can you stand to your feet this morning as we close? <clears throat> Hallelujah. The creator of the universe got down on his knees and washed dirt off the feet of those he loved. I don't know about you, if that doesn't put you in awe, I don't know what will. Of who he is. And I don't like touching feet. That's just gross. Some of you are like, yep. That's what Jesus does. He's not afraid of that. He wasn't afraid to touch the leper. The leper said to him, if you're willing, you can make me clean. He said, I'm willing. And we've been through two years of a pandemic. We hardly touch each other. Jesus touched the leper. Jesus touches our dirty feet. And he makes us clean. See, I wonder if you just close your eyes for a moment. Let's just let the presence of the Lord rest upon us. Father, we thank you this morning. Father, we acknowledge that you've called us as servants to follow after you.
Jesus. Lord, we just hear and we acknowledge your call this morning, your cry to us. Radical service that demonstrates to a lost and dying world your love and your grace and your mercy. Thank you, Jesus. So I have a question. Are you here this morning and you're just kind of floating through life aimlessly? Are you living and serving God with a sense of purpose? Have you truly laid down your life? Are you willing to fully surrender your life to Christ, serve him with all your heart, and follow him? Have you known and experienced his love for his own? Do you know that love this morning? You heard that word this morning that Pastor Sam gave. Someone was here thinking about even contemplating your life. You need to know that love for his own. You need to know that mercy, that grace. You need to know his compassion for you. No, you're not deserving, and that's not the question. He is a God of love who is love. And he's chosen you, and he's, he's appointed you, and he's called you to be separate and consecrated to him. So this morning, the question is, will you respond to that? It's a response to his love. You see, I'm not doing it to earn anything. He's already made a way. It's because of what he did, not what I do or what I'm going to do. It's because of what he did. So we respond to that love this morning, and that's the call. of The invitation for you are, is this. Are you, are you serving him with all your heart? Is there a part of you that you've been holding back? Is there a part of you that's been in reserved He's calling you this morning. Will you respond to that? We want to open these altars in this time of prayer for you. And maybe you're here this morning and you're living without purpose, kind of without direction. You say, I don't, I don't even know what you're talking about, Pastor. I want to experience that. I want to get clarity on the will of God in my life, the steps that he wants me to follow in this morning. He's here this morning respond to his word respond to his call don't delay don't deny Jesus is calling you can we have our prayer teams come up